Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 433, and today we'll be talking about Elsewhere and Elsewhere from the Owl House. I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. Alright, so this week is a doozy with this episode. We follow after Luce, um, her somewhat successful attempt to get back to the human realm where she met her mom. And she's trying to figure out what went wrong with the portal. And she's like, oh, well, we're in the magic demon world, so there must be magic demon time travel. Um, And apparently there is, because plot. (laughs) But it's like an urban legend. That's how they balance it. And they were never able to find it. And simultaneously, Lilith got a new job as an assistant curator at, what was it, a historical museum? Yeah, some museum. Phenomenal. She's... Everybody's invited to the party, including both Steve, the potion seller, and a new character that we haven't seen yet called Flora Desplora, <laughs> um, which is probably about as on the nose as it gets. Lilith feels insecure about not having any cool historical contributions, and Luce very much wants to go into the past. So she and her team up, and with the help of some Titan blood, they're actually able to find the pools. The time travel in this universe works as cyclical, I think the word is, so that everything that you change in the past already happened. So, like, Lilith sticking her head in the sand gets kicked by her past self in the head. Stupid rock! (laughs) Exactly. So, anything that does happen in the past was meant to happen. And they establish that really early. They're like, these are the time rules, there you go. And they find the Didwardian era where Philip had existed when he wrote his journal and uh savage ages not nearly so savage not nearly so savage turns out everybody's pretty chill um (laughs) loose and lilith put on some disguises which are adorable special special credit to the dude who reveled until he died yeah absolutely he two thumbs up he said he was gonna revel till he died and he did loose took his helmet and supposedly she gave it back because it's there in the beginning of the episode, so at some point after coming back from the pool, she gives him his helmet back. Well, no, no, she took it from his corpse in the in the current day, so mm. she could have put that in her trophy room if she wanted. Ah, she probably okay. would have given it back when she was done, though. The, okay, that does track. And so they find Philip being bullied by these two demons, Green Fang and Red Fang, and they're asking where Blue Fang and his palisman is. Um, which is should immediately be raising red flags. But Philip is a sad little nerd who gets pushed around and Luce comes in to save him. And at first, Philip wants nothing to do with them until Luce says that she can help him find the Collector. That does it. <laughs> yeah, and it did it, and Luce comes up with the most wild backstory possible. She's a crab maiden who lost her <laughs> village and only her aunt... What did she call her? What was Lilith's uh, Dertrude, I think? Dertrude, yes. <laughs> Phenomenal. Her aunt Dertrude um, survived. And Philip, now knowing that he is stuck with them, is like putting on the, the charm. Mm-hmm. Being incredibly friendly and what's... I, I can't think of the word. Being very friendly and very... Manipulative. Manipulative, right. And at first it's just like, oh, he's just very friendly. Because at this point we don't know anything about him yet. Like, Luz still kind of idolized him. And so they go into a cave where she teaches Philip the Lightglyph, which apparently his many years in the demon realm he had not 
figured that one out yet. Crucial thing from Philip. It's like the island was trying to hide these from him. Yeah, I do. What what an interesting little phrase. I wonder if that'll ever come up later. Um, Philip, without the aid of a light spell, had already developed a teleportation spell. He draws this huge, complicated multi-glyph. I don't know what, like, like circle. Glyph combo. Yeah, glyph combo. And he teleports all of them to the Titan's skull, which is apparently sacred. And there's a puzzle door and Lilith is suspicious of Philip. She's like, hmm, he's strangely familiar with his manipulative. Yep, the manipulation. Right. Yep. <laughs> and Luz is like, oh, well, maybe he's just a nice guy. A lot of weird things happen in the demon realms. Who cares? And while Lilith is solving the door, Luz goes to talk to Philip, and she sees him writing in his journal that Luz and Lilith died. And she's like, hey, wait a minute. What an impatient man. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also see in his bag, you can see Blue Fang and his palisman. Um, there was a little shot where they're in there. Lilith opens the door and is immediately nabbed by a stone sleeper, which while Luz and Lilith were peeking their heads through the different ages and the time pools, uh, Lilith just offhandedly mentioned that they love scratches behind their ears. And while Philip digs up the, the like, collector's coin and teleports away, Luce and Lilith tame the stone sleeper by tickling it behind its ears. And then ride it to Philip and his busted nose. Yes, uh, Lilith punches Philip straight in the nose, breaking it severely, which... As we go come to learn is why Bellos has a different nose than Philip does. And is the origin of his scar. Yes. And so Lily and Luce go back to their time. And we also wrap up the C plot. I think it was I think the B that plot. Was, I think there were really just two plots. Yeah, B plot with <laughs> the visit of Ida's father. She is, of course, very scared to meet with him, but eventually... He kind of just encounters her, and she can't actually run from him when he's in front of her, so they have their little heart-to-heart. Del Clothorn, coming from a lineage of palisman carvers, apparently lost his ability to carve palisman after Ida turned into the owl beast and attacked him, of which she feels incredibly guilty over. But they talk again, and they get a little bit of closure from that. And we also get to see his palisman, which is a yellow cardinal, interestingly enough. We actually, in the beginning of the episode, we saw Lilith's palisman, like, off its staff, and it's like some weird, messed-up-looking white crow, or raven. I love it. Always smiling. Dopey white raven. And then our characters all meet. Luce tells Ida that Philip was actually a big loser. Not putting two and two together quite yet, but we do get a little scene after this where Philip is going back into a secret cave that's lined with a dead palisman. And he, like, pulls up his sleeve, and you can see he's been writing glyphs all over his body, and they're, like, yep. messing him up. And he does the Bellos voice after consuming a palisman. Yeah, they actually overlay Bellos and Philip's voice on that last part where they play together when he summons the Collector. So this was, like, the sort of official audience reveal that Philip either was Bellos or was related to him in some way. And that makes the coming character reveal all the more heartbreaking. Yes, exactly. Because he's apparently always had the memory of Luce. He realized it was Luce in the past, doing some time travel magic. Oh, and another little tidbit is when 
Philip got knocked over by Red and Green Fang, and uh, Luz was grabbing all of his papers. She intuits that he'd already been to Eclipse Lake, but on the top left, there's a drawing of two people. Yep. And she's like, who's that? And he, like, takes it, and he's like, none of your business. So it kind of puts an interesting timeline where Caleb was there for Eclipse Lake. So maybe they were adventuring together for a while, trying to get back home before Philip snapped and be murdered him. Because he, like, officially learned how to successfully make Grimwalkers from the Collector. Because you can actually see him, like, starting to do research for that in his cave. But it was the Collector was the one who officially helped him make them. So he hasn't made any clones yet, but he has dispatched of Caleb. Did I miss anything? I can't think of anything too big. Yeah, so it was a lot, uh, because <laughs> I have somehow managed to not see the second half of season two. And so for the somehow. longest time, I've really been outside of what is the core <laughs> lore of this show, right? Like, this is the episode that absolutely throws you into the deep end, you know? And I've just been splashing at the shallow end of the pool for a long time, and then occasionally being like, yeah, I saw my older brother go in the deep end once, and he came out with uh, the start of season three, and wow, so many things were different then. <laughs> and I've just had no, you know, I've gotten to, like, live in a land of spoilers without living in the, you know, actual repercussions of experiencing these things. So I've already seen Luz ashamed about traveling in the past. It's it's extremely weird to have seen that first and then come back and see exactly how this all went down. And I gotta say, yeah, it was a pretty big accident, Luz. You know, no 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 harm, no foul. You you were just trying to find a way home. But what a what a crazy idea for the writers to even come up with to make Luz responsible in some way <laughs> for the entire events. He would have found it eventually. Like, he would have found another sacrifice to deal with the Stone Sleeper. Like, there were plenty of Beastmasters. Right, that's an important part. They weren't that critical to the plan. He already knew where the Collector <laughs> was. Like, all he was already, like, one sacrifice in. Like, he would have found somebody else. And he would have found the Lightglyph eventually. Like, he had figured out how to extend his life to a degree beforehand. Like, it's interesting because Luce found the Lightglyph from taking a photo of Ida doing a light spell, like the spell circle. Yep, she researched two, and she got two glyphs off of witches who used the spells. Yeah, so I wonder, there were no photos in the Deadwardian era, or in the American colonial <laughs> era, era. You know, little Quaker Philip has no idea what a camera is. But they do have photographs in the modern Boiling Isles, so I don't know if they got the camera technology from humans' trash, or they developed it all by themselves, because, like, they have photos. They have scrolls that can take photos and selfies. They have, like, a little internet. But it's interesting, like, where, how far set back Philip would have been if he hadn't have gotten the light glyph. Oh, he probably would have gotten from the Collector, to be honest. Does the Collector use glyph magic, though? Well, Philip, a lot of his magical power probably came from glyphs originally. Like, that's how he made his staff and his artificial magic. Yeah, because the Collector gave him a whole brand of artificial magic. I wonder if he, he like, combined it with the glyphs. 
I imagine that, like, his secret to being so powerful now is a combination of the Collector and the Pictoglyphs. Yeah, like, he has, he's physically enhanced by the glyphs, although, of course, ravaged by uh, what they've done to him. Like, steroids, if you, if you remember stuff from the 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what, uh, what really interested me is, you, you know how, you know, Lil, you mentioned how Lilith said, oh yeah, these, uh, these manipulations are very familiar to me mm-hmm. for some reason. Well, Bellos was still manipulating her in the present day before they went back in time because it's like, <laughs> oh, it's almost like she sent Flora to make me upset. That's true. What does Flora happen to bring but a box including her time portal, uh, seeking device? Um, oh god, yeah, that, like, maybe Philip got he couldn't have known when in the future they would have come back. Like, it could have been at any point. Well, he knew it was Luz and Lilith. He had an idea, he could re- probably could remember what Lilith looked like. Yeah, with the odd eyes. And since we know that Belos had the ability to see a lot of what is going on on the Boiling Isle, so he probably had a good idea of what Lilith was looking like at the time, especially since she's going out in public and getting a job at a government institution. So he's probably like, yeah, this is about the time. This is this is about what she looked like. <laughs> he was like, hmm, I don't know if they've gone into the past yet, so I'm just gonna, like, mosey this along a little bit. Or maybe he went through her notes. He was, like, going through her stuff and just snooping. And he was like, oh, they might need this. I w- this is probably how they time-traveled. So I'm just gonna give this back and see see what <laughs> happens. Mayhaps. I just love the traitor Steve. Was that the was yes that the gathering? All hail Lulu! They gave him an, his own voice actor now instead of just Alex Hirsch again. He earned a voice actor. Phenomenal! This is when we really start to like see Steve as a unique character. Although they don't reveal his face until the end of the season, right? But they do label his shirt just in case you needed to know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's probably better for me than memorizing anybody's faces because I'm already bad enough with that. Like, I just wish everybody on the planet had a shirt with their name uh, in totally. bold letters across the front. <laughs> that would help me a lot. Yeah, I would have such an easier life in every possible respect. We need a Mytholomew spinoff so that we can have Steve be the wise older brother uh, in every episode. I don't know about wise, definitely older. Compared to Mytholomew. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, everybody seems wise compared to Mytholomew. You know, he's your old enough to know better, young enough to not care kind of, uh, here, let me offer you some tips, but really the fun part's going to be you figuring life out yourself. The fun part is giving you 32 niggies. For the tips, as an exchange. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, that was an official coven map, so it was fair. Yeah. We also got a ton of, like, little little fun tidbits here. Luce loses her mind, has the most adorable thing uh, to snorses, <laughs> which was adorable. Uh, Ida saying, I've got leg hair older than you. <laughs> Very in character for her. I liked that Ida thought that her mother would buy that Lilith impression for even half a second. <laughs> yeah. I was just so astonished at the audacity that she lets her go. Yeah. That's just such a, like, like not even, like, Luz wouldn't come up with that kind of plan. That's such a specifically Ida plan to think that everyone's at, at her level. Yeah, she's like, I kind of look like Lily. Are they the same age? Are they fraternal twins? Hmm. I, I always thought Lilith was younger. They, I think if any of them had an age difference, they would have brought it up on each other. 
as like a one-up. So I think they are fraternal twins. I think Lilith does make fun of Ida for being old. So they, if if they are fraternal twins, then Ida was born first. <laughs> yeah, like ten minutes earlier. Yeah, I mean Ida just also grayed very early because of her curse. Yep. Which I mean, loads of people gray in their twenties. So somebody being all gray when they're pushing fifty is like not that odd. <laughs> Let me see. What else did we get? We got boiling units. They used to use boiling units, and now they use the empirical system. That which was is so awful. geeky. I love that inclusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I liked the bloody fly effect. We don't have butterfly effects. Yes, we have yes, bloody fly yes. effects. Phenomenal. Um, also, like they didn't take the metric system from the human realm. They took the freaking imperial system. Sadly, I mean, to be fair, who's their emperor? They, I don't remember. When they standardized the imperial system, because they had French inches and English inches and, like, loads of different ways to measure something, the empirical system didn't become standardized until later. So I actually don't know the history of measurement units of the 1600s, which I guess I know what I'm researching after we're done recording. I do like, I forgot that in this episode, Philip says that it is around the 1660s, maybe maybe as late as 1670, that he was writing around when he found the collector. So I, I forgot that we had, the, he narrowed it down for us. Well, so that gives us a timeline, right? When was it said that he went, he disappeared into the demon realm? Like they actually gave us a date on the special. They were fairly young at the time. Um... I don't remember if the statue had a date on it or not. They said it in the story. Oh, in in thanks to them. Yes. Sixteen thirteen. Sixteen thirteen. Okay, so but that was when they arrived in Gravesfield. They as were little they were boys young at the time. Okay, so another. It, it would have been maybe yeah, probably no more than twenty years before he left. Yeah, twenty as like the absolute maximum. 10 probably being the minimum because they were they were strapping young lads when they ventured forth into the demon realm yeah uh caleb looked to be maybe a tween and philip was like a little kid so for both of them to be young adults it would be at least 10 years but probably no more than 20 so then that would put them in the demon realm trapped at what 16 16 something i don't know like i'm looking I'm looking at this statue of them. Caleb, uh, Caleb looks a little distinguished, and even Philip, uh, Philip's got to be at least twenty. Yeah, young adults. Um, so like fifteen years plus sixteen thirteen would be just shy of sixteen thirty. So he has spent at least a decade in the demon realm. Probably thirty years in the demon realm at this point. He looks to be either in his late 20s or early 30s. Like, maybe a bit older. Are you talking about in this episode? Yes. Uh, I would I would say he's an active 50. He's got no gray whatsoever. But he does gray out a lot as Bellows. Glyphs, glyphs will do wonders for you. That's true. And Palisman blood fumes. <laughs> Uh, his hair may not be out and out gray, but he's losing a lot of color. Yeah, you're right, though. 50's a little overdoing it. Yeah, maybe like... But he, 40. Yeah, 
a young 40, maybe a late 30. He still has his, like, old-timey clothes. I mean, they're a bit, like, scuffed, but he's, like, that's a long time to be maintaining the same outfit that he then <laughs> kept in good condition for, like, 400 years. Maybe that was his going-out outfit. Yeah. The I'm getting closer to meeting the collector outfit. Oh, you can see on his jacket, on, like, his left pocket, a little figure that kind of looks like a simplified version of the Gravesfield emblem that he then makes the Golden Guard emblem. It's, uh, at 1133, you can see it. It looks like a little Among Us. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just, it's what it looks like. It, in its simplified version. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's 50 in this. I would say he's, like, 30 or 40. But we do know that this would have been at least 47 years after he, uh, he and his brother came to Gravesfield, so... Right, he should be pretty old. Those glyphs have to be keeping him younger, uh, younger looking. That's a good point, because he was already trying to work on that in this period in time. So it does, that does actually track that he maybe has already gotten some of his young magic to work. So yeah, I, I think he is biologically much younger than he is chronologically at this point. That's true. And it's not like a perfect thing because, you know, 400 years in the future, he looks like an old man. Probably manages to stabilize it once he gets the collector on board. Yeah, he's got graying hair. He has the blue eyes and the crooked nose. Yeah, and he looks old. But, you know, Lilith actually has a little bit of a character arc in this one. You know, the Flora Desplora makes her feel very insecure. She's like, oh, you know, my baluster exhibit isn't going to do it, is it? And then the when she's like, oh, I'm getting so excited seeing these balusters in person. Oh, but Flora would scoff at it. But at the very end, after she punches a... A jerkwad in the face. She's like, oh, I am going to geek out about these balusters without any feeling uh, like I'm doing a wrong thing. I'm going to embrace cool Aunt Lilith. I mean, I know plenty of archaeologists, because this is the thing about history, is that you need to get any details that you can, because you don't know when baluster styles is going to suddenly be relevant <laughs> to like a major historical event. It's true. And so historians are very, like, any little nuggets they can get of the past adds a puzzle piece to the picture. So new discovery, regardless of how insignificant it seems, could be a big deal. Especially if, like, you have actual concrete, indisputable proof that it's true. The, yeah, the funny thing is, this is the Boiling Isles, where time travel magic is a thing that they're like, yeah, I think this exists. So she said, well, I know that the balusters looked like this because I was there in person. I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that tracks. <laughs> right. Everyone would accept that as a citation. Time pools were thought to be a myth. So, I mean, she knows it's true. But, I mean, other scholars may have issues with it. Yes, they may disagree with her at first. But when Luz brings back a possum from the human realm, they won't be able to call Lilith a liar anymore. Well, she didn't think to grab one in thanks to them. So it might be a minute. Wait, wasn't Ida as Marilyn holding... Was it a raccoon or a possum? It was a raccoon. Dang it! Okay, well... Almost! <laughs> you, you, you were thinking it was going to be like that in Gravity Falls, where Grunkle Stan is like, Oh man, uh, the, these books are full of weird stuff. Definitely not real at all. Um, I'm going to take that from you and not do anything suspicious with it now. Mm -hmm. I'm just 
Like, possums are everywhere. They're even more numerous than raccoons. Like, you can't go in basically any American city, especially one with, like, a lot of trees, without, like, seeing possums. They're always they're getting hit by cars. They're just waddling around the neighborhood. Like, my cat caught a baby possum and brought it home once. Alive, so we just set it free. So, like, possums, everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Extremely numerous. So it's really funny that Ida has not seen one. What about in wardrobes? Do you see them in there very often? In abandoned houses, maybe. Behind the section that's been wallpapered over? That tracks. Yeah, I mean, it probably had, like, a little hole that it could crawl through. So, David, all in all, (laughs) what do you think? Uh, Well, I think there was a missed opportunity to do a buttress joke for, you know, know, looking at everything. But I think they actually already somehow made up a buttress joke earlier in the show. So, like, somehow that feels familiar. I can't say it rings a bell. Yeah. Either that or it must be another cartoon we recently watched, like maybe an amphibia. Buttress jokes are really common for some reason, because it's the only architectural joke to make. (laughs) You have a whole new generation of kids who have never heard that joke before. Yep. That's the thing about cartoons. You just recycle all the same jokes from your childhood. (laughs) Yeah, but I, 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 I think that's actually reflective that, you know, they took the high ground here and had... Yeah, they talked about banisters. Yeah, interested in real historical elements. Yeah, isn't a banister something different? Yeah, banister is what goes along the top. Yes. That's like the, the, the handrail. Yeah, And then that's the right. balusters are the supports. Yeah. I feel so embarrassed. I worked two years at the Home Depot and I didn't know this. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely embarrassing. I, yeah, I've actually never thought of the distinction. Well, at least you didn't work for HGTV. I would never. If I have to watch some insufferable couple turn this, like, really awesome house with character and personality into the most bland, hospital-looking, postmodern garbage, I would kill them both on the spot. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) And this is obscure hills that Soren will die on. Remember, kids, freedom of speech includes direct threats that include a time and motivation. (laughs) Granite countertops are worth killing over. (laughs) You just described a specific scenario with a set of conditions in which you would murder someone, but the someone was in specific and there was not a date. Therefore, free speech. (laughs) If you're flipping houses, you are the freaking capitalist (laughs) class, right? Passive income. (laughs) I love just saying passive income like you're just spitting it out. (laughs) <laughs> this has been this has been communism corner with Soren. Um. <laughs> so this episode is fantastic because you know you would have no idea what comes next here. All the possibilities are open with the collector, and you don't even know that cloning is about to be an aspect of this show. Maybe you're thinking, oh, there's going to be a hidden brother. I I, I watched Gravity Falls. What an interesting <laughs> twist that's upcoming, right? But no, Alex they Hirsch trick you. and his hidden brothers. That's not even the most interesting twist. So, oh, it's a pretty good twist. But it's not that much of a twist because they're telegraphing it a lot more. The twist is the knife in Luz's heart when Bellos finally reveals the truth. Oh, that's going to be... We're going to have to have you on for that one too, David. Yeah. I will, I will wait as long as it takes. <laughs> this on the episode, okay, okay, this is really important. This is really important. When 
you can't make it for a week, and it's just GC and I talking about an episode, do you still watch it? Uh, no, like last week, no. I just watched it today. Oh my god! <laughs> so you, so you're not only just being live spoiled every time we talk about season three or previous episodes where we're talking about future episodes, but you're not even watching the ones that you don't record for. No, it's- He it's, catches it's, up. It's, no, I catch up. I catch up. It okay, is, but it is okay. absolutely like this incredible crawl that I will live behind because it's like in high school when my teachers showed us movies in class, which was such a valuable learning tool, and they would split the movie that is just an hour and a half across yeah, it's three called... days. And it was awesome. It made movies like Harold and Maud feel like this grand epic between, you know, a kid who's is having this amazing philosophical adventure. So I like that. I like that journey of watching things at a snail pace. Yeah, all because Mrs. White needed a nap. And we're just <laughs> picking up bits and pieces of Remember the Titans over the course of a semester. <laughs> yes. Just make my, my middle school students watch the Owl House. Don't, don't do that in Texas. You'll get run out of town. Um... <laughs> I hear they're teaching my children witchcraft. I'm like, it's a show on the Disney Channel. <laughs> There's no safe channel left. Uh. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Elsewhere and Elsewhen. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. Leave us a comment or a review. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. I mean, like, listen, you make kids watch a movie that was based off of Shakespeare, where, like, a very obvious Romeo and Juliet parallel, and then you make them read the original Shakespeare and then do the connections because then you can connect something that's old and boring to something that's new and cool.